0: Welcome to Humanity Evolve with your host, Katherine Calarco. This program will bring your life, family, and community together by focusing on the new technologies and innovations that define your world in an open and relaxed forum of ideas and discussion. Now, here is Katherine Calarco.
1: Hello, this is Catherine Calarco. It's so great to have you guys join us today. Welcome to Humanity Evolve. Uh, today's guest is my good friend, AJ Gupta, and uh, he uh, has an extremely uh, diverse and important background in cybersecurity and health, IT. I'll go through a little bit uh, more on his background. I also want to join you today because it is he and I are going to chat about AI and machine learning and what is it and how is this affecting healthcare. Now, Humanity Evolve is, is about connecting people, technology, and a positive future for all of humanity and how that can Im- impact your life and other lives. And today's conversation will probably stretch over several episodes that we're going to talk a little bit more with others in the future who are doing work in health IT and also uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and how to actually impact healthcare using the... Uh, the technology that's being developed today. So uh, AJ, it's awesome for you to join me. AJ and I have known each other for many years and we have now made a complete circle in the sense that I was on AJ's show uh, years ago at, from CES. And so it's uh, great to have him on board. And uh, I'd love you to tell a little bit about what you're doing now, AJ, and uh, and the exciting areas that you're working on and, and what what is the organizations that you're involved with today.
2: Well, thank you for having me on your show, Catherine. It's a it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I'm I'm really delighted that your show is doing so well. I yeah, I know it's a new show. This is, I think, your third month or something like that. And to to see that you've built such a following already, and you've done some amazing work covering some amazing topics in such a short period of time, it's really a testament to all the energy you put into everything you do.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's lovely. So, what is, so tell me a little bit about health solutions research. You know, you're a nonprofit healthcare yes. research uh, firm, and how are you guys incorporating artificial intelligence? And then we're going to cover three topics. We're going to talk about yeah. med tech advances, population health, and GIS systems in healthcare. So, tell us a little bit about what you're doing.
2: So, we, we actually could work in reverse if we wanted to to talk okay. about what sure. we're doing. But we're a health IT firm. We are a, really a, a nonprofit healthcare research firm. That's what we are. I think at, at the core, I'm a researcher. I, I know I went to masters, uh, and I do, I've done an MBA from Georgetown University. So I, I know a little bit about running a business and running an organization. But what I like to do is research. And even though I was in cybersecurity as for a long time as a consultant. And for another period of time, as the chief security officer for an organization. But again, the thing I like to do is always research and figuring out why things work or why things don't and fix them. So I, when you look at health IT, healthcare is the one industry that IT hasn't really transformed, right? It, IT, when it enters an industry or when there's a deployment of consumer-level, operational-level technology in an industry, it typically reduces the cost structure of an industry. Right. Doing things makes doing the things that an industry does costs less money. Uh, that's true from theater, where literally the fact that the theater and stage production could be electronified and then managed by people on a much easier scale than before, reduce the cost of running a theater operation. Uh, people don't necessarily think of that. But in healthcare, that has not happened. Health IT really hasn't reduced the cost structure of healthcare really in any way at all. Right. So myself and, and my chief medical officer, uh, Dr. Ram Paravembo, he's a practicing anesthesiologist, uh, we... Came together to see why that is the case. And we started Health Solutions Research because we think we know and we think we can contribute to that effort. So we think we can work with health IT firms who are really IT firms moving into healthcare. They're not traditionally healthcare firms that are building an IT capacity. And there is a little bit of a difference there. But we can right. help health IT firms bring their product to the healthcare marketplace. And in so doing that, we started this nonprofit because that was our intent right to do the research into how healthcare can benefit from information technology and all of the advances that have taken place in consumer technology which we see all around us now right and where we really started was at the population health level right so that's a it's a buzzword that flies around a lot of people talk about population health population health but what that really means in our view at least is that there's two kinds of Healthcare or the system should address two kinds of things, right? We need the system that can take a person and make that person healthier. So if that person has a disease or is sick or is unwell in any way, the, a healthcare system has to be able to make that person healthier. Right. right? At, at the same time, you can look at a healthcare system on a more macroeconomic level and say, can we manage the overall population's health? That meaning sort of the standard level of health of a population has to be and it and has to be measured and protected so that people can be productive and lead meaningful lives. And then we can assess cost on that level. It's hard for us in America to really assess and measure cost on the individual person's level because we value life. We really can't say that a certain amount of money is too much money to spend on the health care of a person who might need it. We, really, we, don't, we don't like to make that argument. But at uh-huh. a population level, when you abstract human life out of the equation in some way, because you're not dealing with a person, you're dealing with sort of a population, we can begin to consider the cost ramifications of health care. So we, we do a lot of work at the population health level, and we've done things like transportation studies, because getting to hospitals and medical facilities and then getting home after you're done is a big challenge for a lot of people. Right. So, In doing that, we built our own GIS system because we needed a GIS system that enabled us to look at population, where they live, where they work, how they get there, what the road structures are, what the social structures are that allow them to move around and get to hospitals, and what the incident rates of diseases are in the area that that the health system has to address. So when building a GIS system, we built really, uh, without really even knowing it, we sort of fell into it, if you will, Catherine. We built Mm -hmm. a GIS system with a pretty powerful data analytic engine that can merge multiple sources of data that are not all health data. They include some health data, but they also include population and transportation data and other Non health data that is correlated to health outcomes, whether that's the weather patterns or crime rates, those kinds of things. And then we. Traffic. Yeah, traffic is a big, (laughs) big problem.
1: Yeah, So I think what you're talking about is really in enabling artificial intelligence or the the a system to take multiple inputs and actually create an outcome that positively benefits uh, people and their health care. And you're targeting t- specific areas such as uh, transportation, getting to and from the doctor's office to enable people to actually one of the biggest issues is to make sure that they go because that's really important. And often, yeah. pe- often people who are um, either... Uh, disadvantaged, or it's a challenge for them to get to the to the doctor, or those who most need this help and need to actually go to it. And I think one yes. of the and I, I you know AI. I mean, uh, um, Dr. Schlein, who who is, does a lot of work in this area, he says, you know, there's a uh, there's a, the AI benefits are slower than anticipated and really what it is is how do we infuse artificial intelligence in, and healthcare such that has empathy empathy and eff- efficacy right so it actually does what it's supposed to do, do and, yeah, right. and, and, it's, and it actually is empathetic to, so it, it understands it takes the data that actually enables you to know look my mom who's 80 years old needs to get to the doctor and she's not feeling very well how can we uh, facilitate her transportation and and I really feel yeah and I feel like uh, you know one of my kind of metrics for is AI and healthcare working is whether or not the nurses say they like it (laughs) and and it makes their lives lives easier and patients uh, use it regularly without any drama and they are healthier.
2: Oh really? Yeah okay yeah so (laughs) I might be in the minority on this particular case But I agree with you that we want the practitioners, physicians, nurses, uh, radio, uh, radiola, keep messing up that word. Radiologists, radiologists. yeah, Yeah. and even the technicians in the hospitals. We want all of those providers to like the AI system, to enjoy using the AI system, to feel that their job is empowered, that they can do better and serve more people with an artificial intelligence system. Whether that is a system like ours that helps with transportation issues or a system that allows them to measure population health issues like opioid epidemic, which we can also address, or right. anything else. We want them to feel happier. But right. I do not think we want the patients to even know, right? So healthcare is something that we as people, as people who are alive and have been alive for generations and generations. We don't want to have to think about our healthcare. The more we think about or have to think about our healthcare, the worse we feel, right? We want to just be able to use use our bodies, live our lives, right? So, I think be that be healthier. Our, yeah, be healthier, but just be alive and not even mm-hmm. worry about, not even have to worry about our health. If we right. have to worry about our health, something is already wrong. So, for instance, if we don't think about artificial intelligence or machine learning or any of those things in healthcare at all, we just think about the process of having your broken, or somebody's—hopefully hope, not not you or any of your listeners—but if somebody has to have their broken bone set, we do not at all think about the quality of the X-ray machine the physician might use to see our bone before he sets it or she sets it. Nor should we have to think about that, right? So right. why are we the, why would we ask ourselves to think about the quality of the artificial intelligent tool the physicians may use in our healthcare. We don't think about the other tools they use. We have no <laughs> knowledge of the quality of the stethoscope the physician uses. We shouldn't have to think about the artificially intelligent tool that the physician and the provider community might use. It should be completely unknown to us whatsoever. And once we get to that level, I think there'll be uh, some improvement. So you, you mentioned, I think, I think you cited Dr. Sloan, who, who's been saying that AI has had a slower impact into healthcare than other areas. right? Even though we already know that today's artificial intelligence algorithms are quite substantial and, and, and uh, capable. So, for instance, most of the aircraft that fly around the world today do so on autopilot from takeoff to landing. And there's almost, uh, uh, th- every day there's a less and less n- percentage of time when a human pilot has to intervene, right? Why yeah. is that not the case in healthcare? In part because patients, a large percentage of patients, they want the, the w- human interaction. Right. They go they want to the doctor, <laughs> they want a human, right? And so if, if you're saying that an artificially intelligent agent can treat a person but that person doesn't really want to be treated. They just want to have a person to talk to. They just want to have a human to listen to them. Then that artificial agent can't do that job.
1: Right? But is it really about the artificial agent doing the job or, or informing the person and that the actual value of the provider is that connection to 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 look into people's eyes and actually make that human connection, but they're better informed because That's they're exactly using they're using diagnostic tools, right? And that That's and I exactly- think it,
2: That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. As soon as we get away from asking the consumers to be comfortable with it or patients to be comfortable with it, they should know nothing about it. The AIs will pop up everywhere. Right. But the reality
1: is... Yeah, I, I'm hoping that the that the artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the, the compassionate use of technology will help to improve the three items that you that abound healthcare. You know, cost, quality, and access are improved. Yeah. Most, you often say you can get two of these, but you can't get three of them. And I think we have to have three of them, right? Because we're trying to increase and create uh, better outcomes and also improve the cost.
2: Yeah, and, well, um, you're right about that. You can't have three of them. You can only take any two. But in, in this case, in healthcare, there's actually right. a correlation between cost and access. The, and yeah. that reason is that if a person doesn't have access to healthcare, they typically don't have access to the everyday basic level of healthcare. Like right? Going to the pharmacy and getting a prescription filled, or going for an annual checkup or a routine visit. That's what they don't have access to in America when they don't have access to healthcare. But in America, we do have an emergency healthcare care transportation system. If you call 911, yes, a lot of cities will have a delay in your 911 service, and we worry about that. But if you call 911, an ambulance will come and will take you to the nearest hospital. And so we do have emergency healthcare transportation. So the people who don't have access to health care do have access to emergency health care, which is expensive. Right. So our access and cost, that that uh, two points of that triangle, they're already correlated. So if we right. improve access, we will actually decrease exactly. utilization of emergency transportation exactly. for healthcare and save money. Right. So that's right. An, an interesting phenomena. So that's why we in healthcare, we could have all three. We could yeah. That's exactly the, I Totally agree. Totally
1: agree, and I think that should be – oh, sorry. <laughs>
2: no, I was just saying that's a beautiful phenomenon. We're in an interesting space in healthcare that we can increase access and decrease costs.
1: Right. And the big side of this development, uh, the technology development, you talk a little bit about where the patients don't really need to know or have to question the quality. I do think that consumers often want to go to the best doctors or go to the place that has the greatest facilities. But I think what's important about artificial intelligence and machine learning is that there are first principles, that there is quality and consciousness and capability built into the technology because who's ever building it needs to understand or be. Be connected to the wisdom of what truly works for people, rather than just building uh, smart machines. You also want to build uh, the 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 wisdom within that. And that I, I you know, I was work with at a uh, workshop with Arc Fusion and Ideo. And one of the items that came up from our working sessions was this first principles guiding what's happening. You know, how do we embed compassionate intelligence and eliminate the fear associated with? with using Watson technology or others like that. I mean, you know, th- th- I think it's really important to understand that, yes, the patient doesn't need to know and shouldn't have to be involved in that, but the developers and the companies that are building these technologies need to be the caretakers
2: of that. Yeah, you're right. And just as a quick clarification, I didn't say the patients don't need to know about quality. Yeah, they should know about the quality of their health care. They should be very, very inquisitive to the extent of what the quality of their health care is. I, I said that they don't necessarily need to know what tools the physicians are using, are using yeah. for their healthcare. whether that tool is the yeah. latest and greatest surgical robot or if it's an old-fashioned mechanism done in the 1800s. Right, I mean, right. that shouldn't specifically be of interest to patients unless they really want that knowledge. But. The quality of that operation, whether it's done by today's latest robot, the DaVinci or the Mako robot, or if it's done by an old procedure, that, you know they don't. Maybe maybe that's not the point. Maybe
1: that's not yeah. Exactly. Well, we're going to have to go to break. This is a yes. fascinating conversation about what it really t- takes to actually change healthcare with regard to using technology and artificial intelligence and different systems associated with uh, IT. We want to continue this after the break and uh, come back. And we're going to talk a little bit about medtech and how do we manage the fear. This is Catherine Calarco with Humanity Evolve and our guest AJ Gupta. Be back after the break.
0: This is Humanity Evolve with Catherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at
1: ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve. Welcome back. This is Catherine Kalarka with Aj Gupta, and we're talking about artificial intelligence and healthcare. A super a, incredible advances that are going on, and there's sort of three key trends that we're seeing: medical technology advances and potentials with regard to a wide range of diseases and medical conditions, population health, and how data analytics can make headway in understanding population-wide health issues, and GIS systems in healthcare, which is a cleaner way to and analyze data, and in a recent, just want to share some data before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know, what's effective, what's delivering value and and how is technology making a difference. A a recent report from uh, CBI or CB Insights indicated there's 106 startups transforming healthcare with AI, everything from patient data and risk analysis to virtual assistants, there's wearables, there's mental health, there's a lot of work in drug discovery and these sort of uh, mirror the trends that we're seeing in terms of technology, population health, and GIS systems. So, uh, AJ, tell me a little bit about where, why you think this technology is being used in healthcare right now. What what do you see as the benefits or the examples of where this is making a difference for people?
2: Well, there's they are all around us. Now, if I could yeah. add to a couple of your data points, right? You're yeah. right, that there's a lot of investment in AI in healthcare, but, did, you know, it's only 15% of the investment in artificial intelligence in the world is dedicated to healthcare. And yeah, it's, it's not still enough. The overwhelming bulk of artificial intelligence is in other industries and other spaces. And if you think about it, next to the federal government itself, the U.S. federal government itself, the U.S. healthcare industry is the largest sort of monetary industry in the world. Right. So most of AI, a very small percentage actually, is going towards possibly the largest potential buyer of a- artificial intelligence. Uh, technologies. So while there may be a hundred some companies, that's not enough. We need we need a lot more, and that's because. I, and I think the question you're asking suggests that, right? Right. There are so many places and topics and areas in healthcare that need some sort of advancement or could benefit from some sort of advancement. A hundred and six companies couldn't handle them if each of them focused on a different area. So, right. For instance every kind of surgical procedure could use a different artificial intelligent agent to learn the best surgical approach, right? So that's an area where there's advancement, right? That, that's certainly an area where people are seeing uh, some benefits. Now, robotic surgeries in regular hospitals is still a very new thing. So the fact is, the Da Vinci robot, which is one of the robots that one of the companies that make robots for surgeries, that right. can take a regular, you know, invasive procedure and make it laparoscopic, which typically allows for quicker healing and a much better overall patient experience, is just getting started. A lot of physicians do have challenges with them, not because they're not, uh, not because they're necessarily opposed to using a robot in surgery, but just because that's the natural evolution of changes in healthcare. I'm sure that that field will advance in time, and I'm sure that an intelligent agent can be added to the robot so that the robot, as it's doing the surgery under guidance of a trained surgeon, can learn how the surgery is performed so that they can possibly, even on their own, advance technique over time or over the number of surgeries taken. That's, that's an exciting area. Now, I think clearly the first patients that have surgeries performed by a robot under the guise, under the watchful eye of a physician, of a surgeon, but with a robot that is using its own artificial intelligence to determine where and what to do, that guy's going to be a little scared, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> exactly unless they have no other choice I mean is there an opportunity to allow for remote rural or or uh, I mean, uh, ge- geographically diverse uh, areas where in fact you know you either use you either ha- you have no access right and this gives you global access to help with things that are maybe unusual or well, what you're um, describing is yeah. the battlefield
2: right so that, right. that happens in the battlefield I-, I don't really think that that environment is rural right because we can airline air lift, we can transport, we can get out to the rural areas. Okay. So there's no place in America, and we're a large country, that's more than a few hours away from a big city, right? You know, coast to coast is about a five, six hour flight. But in the battlefield, you are not going to get a surgeon into the battlefield necessarily. So advances in robot surgeries uh, is certainly could come. I'll i say it like that. It could come from the military
1: yeah there's a there seems like areas where uh, what i've seen is that areas that are easy to use uh uh, technology to um assess patterns right so for example reading reading radio radiology charts or reading the the um the the uh x-rays you know reading x-rays or amassing large amounts of data and determining if there's a particular trend or integrating multiple like you were talking about in the beginning, you know, uh, to ascertain um, interventions that may include lifestyle rather than just pharma, you know, um, by using information around their, uh, what they do and and how they, and and their behavior using tracking mechanisms. I think, I think there's more easier adoption within pattern recognition in terms of analysis of, uh, you know, uh, there's a huge backlog associated with, you know, blood analysis and blood tests and things like that. I mean, it seems like there are areas that would benefit from incorporating AI for pattern recognition.
2: There certainly are a lot of areas where pattern recognition can speed the detection of uh, certain cases. No question about it, right? So, and there's so many areas, again, that it's hard to know where, where one would start first. But certainly, any machine learning or artificial intelligent al- algorithm algorithm could certainly do pattern recognition better than what we do now. and So we, we see that in places of image analysis, right? So there's a couple right. of examples, right? So image analysis is a very interesting field, right? Now we, we really all do have, because of the advance in consumer electronics, very sophisticated cameras, right? So my own personal camera now on my phone may have 10 million pixels, right? And 10, 12 million pixels is no big deal. Now, a picture that I could take myself could have a whole lot of data in it that a trained physician or a computer algorithm could really use to detect whatever whatever skin lesions. let's say, whatever skin right. lesions are in that exactly. photograph. It's a great
1: so, example, yeah.
2: There's been research, fairly recently released from Stanford University, not their medical school, but Stanford University, where a researcher has created an algorithm based off of the Google Brain algorithm that can identify skin lesions as well as dermatologists can, right, mm-hmm. in a certain mm-hmm. subset. So I don't think that was a random trial, purely random, but it's still a very good result and certainly a move in the right direction. And there's other algorithms that uh, a company that we know here in in our area, a medical health IT company, that can classify wounds, whether they are trauma-induced wounds or post-surgical, so that they can structure the treatment of the wound uh, rather than leave it up to the subjective visual inspection of the provider or the physician or nurse who is treating the patient. And so these kinds of things can be sort of low-level advances to healthcare, which do exactly what you were talking about earlier. It, it leaves the provider one less thing that they specifically have to do and one more thing uh, or gives them more time to just simply treat the patient.
1: Right, right. Right. To actually make to use the knowledge, get the knowledge quick so they can actually focus on the intervention or the therapeutics or the or whatever their treatment is. They can actually develop that and spend more time uh, with the person as a whole being uh, rather than, okay, this is what I usually do for that. Right. And I think that what's interesting is to see. Where you're seeing a lot of the expertise of AI come into is early detection of cancers, um, early detection of things like autism. Um, uh, you know, how do we move people from ER visits to uh, primary physician physis- visits, or even nurse practitioners or therapists? You know, how do we integrate the family into the solutions? So I think there's a lot of patient-oriented things that that can be done in a, in a effectively to help on the patient journey as well as the provider journey to create that impact. And, and I, you know, we really want to see it go from, you know, sick care to well care. Right? And can we actually use uh, technology to move to well care? And do you see it where the patient is seeing that today? Or do you have, have any examples of where that might be visible or when will the patients or when will we as uh, healthcare care consumers uh, see, see some of this become, uh, affect our lives and uh, our health care?
2: Well, I think that's up to the consumer. You could make an argument that consumers, or whether we want to call them consumers or Or patients or users. Clients, yeah, right, or or users, right. I think they have the option of doing that now if they really immerse themselves in all of this Fitbit-style tracking of their biological functions, if you will. You Uh can track your steps. You can track your heart rate. I think you know a little about that. (laughs) yes <laughs> sleep you can track yeah. all you know you, there's a lot of just regular biological functions of a human being that a person can track on their own if they want to it's not that expensive it may not even be that intrusive you know you you have to wear sensors in, in many cases but a lot of them are designed to be comfortable there's some that right. you can sleep in and so if you wanted to you could start tracking all of these things yourself you can even use some Tools that track your dopamine and serotonin levels, which are very powerful uh, hormones that are released in the brain that influence a lot of what we are as a person. Mm. And, if, and then, then the next step comes, which is where artificial intelligence can play. Once you right. have all this data, you can feed it to an AI system. You can mm, tell it a little about yourself, your history, your genomic history if you know it, or you could find that out, your family history if you know it, or you certainly could find that out. And then it can start telling you things along the lines of what you're talking about. What kind of lifestyle changes should you have? Is, is there a different diet that's better for you? And right. And these systems may not be accurate right away, but that's okay because artificial intelligence systems, machine learning systems, are designed to correct themselves over time. So they're designed mm-hmm. with a feedback loop. To learn. Yes, exactly. They learn. So essentially, you... They tell you something based on data, and then you sort of, if you will, plug the outcome of what they told you back in. So if it's right. right or wrong, it'll correct itself over time a friend of mine I got
1: to tell you this funny story a friend of mine who works at a very large organization that supports artificial intelligence and we were both beta beta testing this particular one and I said yeah it's frustrating and I sent it back an email and I said this is totally doesn't make any sense what you're sending me you know and he says he says well I cuss at it <laughs> and I said oh my gosh and he says well we're teaching him we're teaching him what to do and I said well I don't know if I'm gonna do that but uh, he says yeah you got to give him the feedback and so things like like you know, uh, simple tools that maybe most people are aware of, like Alexa, or uh, there's some uh, uh, virtual assistance uh, mm-hmm. programs Siri. and things like that. Siri, they you know you gotta train them, you know, and and they and they start to become more effective. And um, I think they're also training us on how to ask for things because I still can't get Siri to. Call my mom. Call my mom. Call home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, but I. So I think that what people, what you're saying here is that there is a lot of your own personal data that's available. You can get genomic information. You can get biometric information. Your blood tests. You can get tracking from sensors. And and there are ways of being able to aggregate that. And and through either platforms, there's a couple of platforms that might help you. Even some of the genetic testing companies are using it. Or, uh, you know, doing some search and try to find out how can functional medicines is getting into this There's a couple of companies that are working on this with regard to trying to use this information and, and surveys and assessments to help to guide the doctor by providing more informed assessment of, of you as a person. And then you can actually go, okay, here's the right foods. Uh, here's the tests I might want to do. And here's some things that you might want to uh, engage with. Um, and, I, and I think there are ways of doing that. I think it's still early. So you're, you are part of this pioneer uh, era of uh, being involved. And I think it's, in my view, it's important that, that very compassionate, caring, intelligent, capable, uh, motivated, and and uh, individuals are participating in this because it is a reflection of us, and if all of us are not participating in what is the future, potentially, of our healthcare system, then we are not defining it, and um, you can talk about the, the, you know, non-duality in terms of the, if you want to talk about it that way, or you can talk about it in terms of, look, I want to be part of the The solution or i want to be engaged and informed and find a way of of connecting into that to be part of this future so that your heart is uh is reflected in what happens so that it works for you and your family and uh and if you're in the technology field get involved in some of these or these communities there's so many of them uh you know that 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 the conscious uh the conscious hacking system and there's all there's a lot of these groups that are involved in this and um so, you know, what, what would you advise? And we only have three minutes to the break. So I just want to sort of give people a bit of a teaser in terms of if, if I'm out there sure. as an individual, if I'm a, you know, just a, a regular person uh, and like all of us are, we're all regular people. So we're all people. How can we get the benefits of this and how can we engage in learning more about it?
2: You know, you're right that there. This is the time for a change in healthcare. We have been talking about changing the healthcare system of the United States for a full eight years now, and no solution has presented itself. I think that's in part because we, as an IT community, we do need to provide better, more powerful solutions to healthcare. They, they're probably going to be machine learning and artificial intelligence based, but we have to do that. And one of the things that I'm doing is chairing a conference in machine learning and artificial intelligence. In Boston, this May, May third and fourth, I'll send the link to the conference on your uh, LinkedIn page for your listeners. We can extend all of your listeners a discount on on uh, the attendance rate. We've got great speakers from the from Hopkins. We have speakers from large providers, Trinity Health. We have large ACOs, Apollo Medical, uh, and, and as well as the developers of technology. So the conference is bringing together, the developers of machine learning and artificial technology, with practitioners so that the two groups can speak to each other about what they need, what they can do, and how we can, together, advance the state of healthcare.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, AJ, thanks for stepping in and really making a forum for this conversation to occur. I think, you know, this is uh, one of the new things that I'm seeing is that people are really Creating more of a shared experience, right? Let's do this collaboratively. Let's let's engage a dialogue to share understanding and wisdom and best practices and fundamentals. And I I see this with meetup groups and I see it yeah. with a consciousness group out here in California. There's there's so many ways for people to participate. And we're also going to talk about when we come back after the break. We're going to talk about how do you deal with the fear associated with this. You know, there's a lot of fear around this, and how do we counter that? with this positive collaborative openness and engagement in terms of us building it together to deliver the value to people. So we're going to come back right after the break and, and talk a little bit about security and managing the fear associated with this. And uh, we, we, please join us after the break. This is Catherine Calarco with AJ Gupta. We'll be back on Humanity Evolve.
0: This is Humanity Evolve with Catherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve.
1: We're back. This is Catherine Calarco with Humanity Evolve and our... Today's guest is AJ Gupta, and we're talking about artificial intelligence and healthcare. And before the break, we were chatting a little bit about, you know, when when am I going to see the differences and, and how do I participate in it and, you know, be part of what's happening? And I think it, it's not a really, in my view, it's not about the politics. I think it's important to assure that people have access to care, that they're not, their only way of getting access is through the emergency room. I just feel like there's been a lot of improvements in healthcare systems. And I think there's more that technology industry can do. I think there's more that we can do together as a technology industry and as a providers and and professionals uh, to to really create systems that add virtuous value rather than create more dysfunction. And one of those areas that kind of prevents, I think a lot of this innovation from being implemented is obviously it's a a dominant design or embedded uh, educational system in terms of how these things get adopted, but also there's a fear factor, right? There are fears associated with this and a lot of it is around security. So uh, AJ, during the break, we were chatting a little bit around the the security issue Uh, let's continue that conversation. So what, what do you see as uh, you know, how people are worried about security and privacy um, how is AI helping with that, or what do people need to know about security and 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 all of these intelligent systems now having access to data?
2: Well, people are worried about it, and they're rightfully worried about it because medical data is now becoming or close to becoming the most valuable kind of data for identity thieves to steal. And I think that's in part because you, a person's medical record can't just be changed in the way you could change your credit card number or you could change your social security number although that's a bit harder but you can't right. change your medical record the record is what it what it was if you had surgery yeah they were cut surgery. yeah
1: i think you're cutting out there i'm not sure if our listeners heard that but uh if you could just repeat that sure. the, the last
2: few sentences yeah yeah no i was just saying that the medical records are of, of value because they can't be changed right your right. medical record right. is what it is and you can change your credit card number you can't change facts about your medical history. So mm-hmm. people and patients have a right to be worried about their, the security, the confidentiality of their medical records. And sometimes they fear that the advent of artificial intelligence systems will necessarily mean that their medical record will be accessible and available to larger populations of people. But that doesn't necessarily really have to be the case. In fact, it may not even be necessary. So, for instance, if you think about how we do and how we currently talk about risk stratification, we don't do it on a personal level. We don't say that Mary Brown is at risk of breast cancer. That's not how we identify it, right? We say that women of a certain age with a certain family history etc., etc., may be at risk of breast cancer and so therefore should do mammograms and early testing and that kind of thing. And we have that kind of stratification for all kinds of diseases, prostate cancers, uh, diabetes, arthritis, and we are developing those kinds of risk stratifications for diseases where they don't currently exist, like dementia and and these kinds of things. And it's not about a personal identity. We do it across an entire population. So and the the larger the, the data set is of de-identified records, the better the risk stratification is. So right. I think that's something that the medical community, maybe ourselves in health IT, can can advocate for. That hey, when we use medical records to do this kind of population health work, we are using de-identified records because that's all we really need to use to identify risk stratifications for patients. Now, right. could we do a better job in some ways by having patient names included? I would say from a theoretical standpoint, the larger the data, the more, more accurate, the better the results. So yes, but th- that's not how we do it now. So we don't, we don't risk stratify with personal information, so we don't need it going forward. And we do have a HIPAA law in place. That protects identity, and, and everybody is always worried about being in violation of HIPAA. So we don't need to have right. personal records. We can do our work without it. And in fact, right. the, the GIS platform that we've built that we call the GeoHealth Dashboard, it, you know, if you take a look at the vast amounts of data that we have that we use to address population health issues, you'd be surprised to know how very few of them even mention patients right to do population level health analysis with actually limited view of patient records so yeah. it's surprising but yes the population statistics do inform population health criteria so i think that's something that we can tell patients and we can you know we can it's one thing to just tell patients we don't need your personal information because we can do the work without it but we have to find a way that truly demonstrates that to society at large so that they can be confident that their records are not going to be misappropriated or misused right. in any way.
1: Yeah, so I think you're like you, – me as an individual, I benefit from aggregation of large amounts of data that actually can create – types and provide me with information based on you're in this population. You might want to go to your health professional for these or make sure you get tested. It gives you an information and guidance and, and all the companies that I've worked that have incorporated uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning in their products have always identified a connection with health professionals, right? They've always incorporated them in the conversation. And many of the people have actually shared their data with their health professional to get personalized, uh, uh, information that are actually relevant using the population data, but also using their own data, right? And I think that's where the the relationship and the sharing of information openly with your doctor, those platforms also allow you to do that. And then you actually get this population data with the overlap of your own personal data, which is extremely powerful. And and a lot of them are enabling that sharing of information.
2: You know, that's great. It's great. I I mean, you're accurate about that too. I think that uh, having personal identifiable information available to the pharma, to the provider is, is fine because, of course, obviously they have it anyway. But I want to go back <laughs> to something you said at the beginning of that, that uh-huh. most of these uh, AI companies are involved with healthcare. You know, if that's been your experience, that's fantastic. <laughs> I have to say that I know of a number of AI companies that don't have a chief medical officer or somebody in that
1: role. That is them. really true. Oh, my yeah, gosh, I, you were I spot mean, on on that everybody's from tech yeah nobody understands the domain at all
2: right yeah. so i think that's changing i i think well i think two things are changing i think first of all those health it firms that don't have a chief medical officer maybe don't know a physician in their circle of friends who a they can speak to and, and talk about these situations and b that they can afford to compensate their time right so that's right. That, that that can be a challenge which is again why we exist right as a Research yeah. Consultancy that we can we can help firms and provide them the medical information because we do know the medical industry. We do have a number of physicians on our panel that can work in as a chief medical officer and in, risk in, uh, in you know sort yeah. of an on call basis. But then on the second on the second point, there are a lot of physicians who are starting their IT based or health IT based companies because they know exactly what the shortcomings are in their practice of medicine and they are building companies around that. I think that is right. an interesting. Uh, it is. You're absolutely
1: correct. There's a lot of people that actually aren't going from, from graduating from medical school to going into robotics or uh, software systems or diagnostics or predictive uh, tools. They're actually Actually uh using that medical domain expertise to to actually be part of the technology evolution here. And I and I really advocate exactly what you're talking about is to integrate the domain expertise and include the stakeholders in the solution. Now they may not understand it. They might understand how they're they what what is happening, you might not understand each other, but I think you can create a common language, and there are people who can straddle both of these industries and understand them and provide that bridge because I think if you don't know the current system it's hard to evolve that to a new system um, without or you or your plan is to completely disintermediate it and actually operate with a, with an innovative group outside like a group of functional medicine people who want to create a model for using artificial intelligence and, and 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 surveys and assessments and functional medicine together and i i just want to i think what's really important that you bring up is really fundamental that it brings back how do we integrate the hopes with the fears? You know, we are at a critical moment in the development of our of our machines and need to get this right. No other space uh, really epitomizes what is. The, the potential than healthcare, and the potential for dramatic improvements um, for eliminating mistakes or for uh, unintentionally infusing mistakes that we didn't think through. So I think it's it, it, we have to go at this uh, with with consciously and including stakeholders and actually thinking about what we're doing and building these new inventions. To create them, we need to have the capability of being nurtured and and taught in ways that are benefit beneficial and not harmful. I think that's so important is that we are cre- evolving these machines and we need to find and create first principles and a methodology on how we can uh, uh, create human, human-centered human AI applications in healthcare. And if we do that, we will fundamentally deliver on, on the promise and create a, a system that works for us and for all people, not just a few. But for all people and enables us to take care of our population in a way that allows access, quality, and cost management. I think it's super important to fuse hopes and fears so that the machine information is capable of being nurtured and taught in ways that benefit and are not harmful. You know,
2: you're 100% right. I think you know you can a lot of people have a whole bunch of different views about obama and i'll just say they're all accurate but one thing that he did do was raise to the nation's consciousness that our healthcare system which is the best in the world is just simply very expensive so we do have the opportunity to take the technology and the innovation that our country is capable of and just apply it to our healthcare system change the cost structure change the system any way we want and really make it a much much better system that achieves better outcomes that gets from maybe sick care to well care. Exactly. We started talking about that, but we didn't really get into it enough. And then you know, of course, obviously the U.S. healthcare system does export everything to the whole world. We would we would change how the world's population is cared for in a dramatic and powerful way, and it, it is very exciting and it's also yes. very possible. I mean, we know these things are in our reach.
1: Yeah, you know. exactly. And we only have a minute, so I want to make sure that this this is a that we're going to continue these conversations about artificial intelligence and machine learning and the future of our healthcare systems and other systems throughout the weeks, and really talk about what is sick care. And I'd love to continue this conversation, you and and really understand how we can uh, uh, manifest the hopes and mitigate the fears and infuse humanity into the future of our artificial intelligence and and our ecosystems associated with all of us so AJ thank you so much for being imvo- pleasure, involved Kate. today how can people stay in touch with you what's a way for them to continue the dialogue
2: so they can attend our conference uh, they can follow our twitter handle I put my blog which is the health access blog that's so health solutions slash blog and uh, continue to read our work our conference is in May in Boston May 3rd and 4th in Boston and we hope that Catherine you'll be there and we hope that uh, many of your listeners are there and again any of your listeners that come to the conference will give them a discounted uh, registration fee
1: thank you thank you so much everyone stay in touch on at kathcolarko.com or via my LinkedIn page or www.ccolarko.com please stay in touch and continue this conversation we want to hear from you and we want to transform the world for a better place for all of humanity it's our time to be the conscious future and integrate technology and wisdom into uh, a a new system for all of us. Thank you so much for being on our show today, AJ. I love talking to you. You're an awesome guy and we'll probably have to continue this conversation in the next show. Thank you, everyone. It's been Catherine Calarco and AJ Gupta on Humanity Evolve. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining Catherine Calarco for this week's edition of Humanity Evolve. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk again then.